with me today is AK Principal and Ryan Childs, also principal both of Production Lending. Production Lending is a direct lender to oil and gas companies with focus on smaller size investments. The company's past investments included financing of producing assets and non-producing minerals. Ryan and AK, you both are former energy bankers, so I'm really interested to get your take today. So let's get into it. My first question for you, how have you seen companies being affected by the COVID-19 pandemic and of course the oil price shock earlier this year how have you seen that affect the companies sure and, and Jessica first of all thank you for for the opportunity we really appreciate it you're very welcome. Um, jumping into the question um, COVID has presented a lot of uh, challenges uh, for our industry which has seen its uh, third price collapse in the last 12 years uh, first of all the operators need to figure out ways to operate safely uh, while the COVID cases continue to increase. Uh, secondly, uh, uh, producers need to uh, deal with the storage crisis, which has also resulted in inability to sell production, at least for some time. Now, while the uh, situation has uh, alleviated a, a bit uh, recently until last month, um, the producers were looking for uh, alternative storage options because the crude purchases were rejecting the crude because of uh, lack of demand on the uh, refinery side. Um, thirdly, the, the prices have now uh, declined below the cash cost level for some of the producers, which means that they now have to uh, uh, shut in their wells, uh, which uh, results in uh, kind of lease expiration issues uh, and a lot of risk. And, and uh, fourth and kind of the foremost is uh, in this tough time, unfortunately, the, the capital um, is receding away from the sector uh, in the sense that uh, the banks are uh, cutting down on the borrowing basis. Uh, the private debt and private equity are uh, nervous about investing in this tough time. Um, so what this has done is this has actually uh, taken away uh, liquidity from the A&D market, uh, which means that uh, these uh, producers who would have otherwise been able to monetize their assets and raise some cash, they're unable to do so. Um, and, uh, and this kind of further aggravates the capital situation. Uh, now, while almost everybody has been affected because of this COVID crisis, there are some people who have done better than others. And uh, the people who have done better are, are typically people who have had hash production. Uh, they were uh, kind of conservatively leveraged or uh, they had kind of lower operating costs compared to other people. My next question for you, companies are still trying to stay in business. We know, as you mentioned, AK, thank you for going through the different examples. How do they do that right now with concerns about CapEx? Everything that comes with that, I guess they're really having to rethink everything and so that's where the two of you come in as well uh, what are you seeing there today stating the obvious this has really become survival mode for a lot of companies and you can almost look at the solutions they're employing by, by sort of thinking about a balance sheet so if you think about the operational side you know as abhishek said everybody is cutting the sort of non-essential capex um, we're seeing a lot of smaller companies that are having more of a hands-on approach and we're seeing the larger companies that have typically had a lot of production enhancing CapEx, but they've cut that out entirely. Oil and gas is incredibly capital intensive. And so you have to spend, but everybody has a limited amount to spend. And obviously when prices are low, it means you have less capital available to do that. 
Um, you know, in particular, this has been really hard on the service sector. Um, we invest in one company. We, we know many others that have been hit really hard just because of the fact of, you know, the hands-on and, and cutting the enhancing activities. Um, the, the sort of investment side, I would say, um, you know, again, AK mentioned the, the sort of non-core asset sales. I would really put that as a big theme of the last five years. People only have a very limited amount of uh, money they can put in. If they can't invest in a typical project, they might be better off selling it and using that capital elsewhere. Uh, the interesting thing is just that companies are not able to find buyers for prices that they want to sell at. There's still a, a pretty big bid ask. And, you know, we hear a lot in the news about uh, private equity dry powder, and there's a lot of it, but, you know, most of it's allocated to, to newer funds. So it's not going to the older investments, the legacy investments. And, you know, for these newer funds, private equity is sort of having a little bit of a wait and see approach. They're pretty active in looking at things and, you know, they're putting in numbers, but I, I don't think they're numbers that are getting you know, a lot of attention from the sellers. Um, you know, the last piece uh, is really on the financial side. So, you know, if you think about capital structure of companies, you know, both on the debt and equity side, I think both the, the capital providers and the companies are having to work together to figure out solutions of how to move forward. Now, th this can be something as simple as, you know, getting sort of, you know, payment relief or maturity extensions, um, or even in extreme cases, trying to figure out a way to restructure the investment entirely. So, you know, everybody right now is, is trying their hardest to figure out how do we ride through this period. And there's, you know, fortunately, a lot of levers to pull, but, you know, obviously none of them are very fun right now. Production lending, though, has been able to continue through this downturn. Thankfully, I know for you both. How is that? Our deals have, have generally uh, done pretty well, you know, even during this crisis. And, and, and fingers crossed, we have not had any principal losses. That is primarily because of a couple of reasons. Um, First, I think the credit goes to our operating partners um, who have uh, improvised really well during this crisis. Uh, I mean, a uh, lot of our operators were able to cut down the cost by more than 35, 50% without much impact on the production, um, which is critical for survival during this time. Um, secondly, we have uh, worked very, uh, on a very proactively with our uh, uh, partners to modify our agreements to give them flexibility um, to operate in a very effective and successful manner um, to weather this crisis. Now, for example, we've kind of, uh, whether it be kind of uh, modifying the payment plan or, or it could be kind of making the extensions or, or in some cases like doing even the asset swaps, right? It could be anything um, that helped them kind of weather this crisis. Now, what this has resulted in is while uh, the rest of the capital has been receding away uh, from the sector, we have been aggressive in terms of deploying more capital into the space. We have uh, closed three transactions um, and we'll be closing a fourth one next week uh, since the COVID started. Um, uh, uh, I mean, even since we started our business, our focus has always been on kind of the niche space, things that, uh, that others generally find kind of difficult to invest. Now, for example, um, we now have about uh, this kind of new side of the business that we started uh, earlier this year or, or late last year. We've been able to deploy more than $20 million onto the non-producing mineral space, uh, which uh, is not uh, kind of something that other capital providers focus on. 
uh, we uh, focus on kind of uh, production deals that other feel are, are too small for them to, to even look at. Um, and then thirdly, uh, we've been kind of very uh, flexible on the type of product that we offer. So we've not limited ourselves onto just debt. But we also looked at um, structured equity, like uh, preferred equity or, or even common equity in, in some cases. Um, so to, to kind of summarize, I mean, I think uh, overall, uh, whatever the situation is, there are always people who are, are companies that figure out ways to add value. And uh, um, uh, sometimes it changes and, and you are a change with that. So uh, in order to be successful, so those are the type of people and companies that we are uh, partnering up with. And we hear, of course, the term the new normal a lot. None of this has been normal, we know. Uh, but can you tell us a little bit about what that looks like, the lending in the new normal, if you will? I imagine, as you, I think, have touched on already, but there's different approaches taken for certain areas or assets. This is something that I think is actually going to be a, a big change coming out of this crisis, you know, whenever that may be in the next months or years. You know, we, we again, have had three price collapses in the last 12 years. And I think the underlying fundamentals of the shale revolution almost negated those to some extent that, you know, even in, in the 2016 period, you had a lot of companies that were issuing equity and sort of getting investors to believe that, look at how great our well economics are, this is really going to improve. Um, you know, I think now that that is in danger of, uh, of not happening for, you know, a time coming out of this. So, you know, when I think about what's going to change, there's really two things. One is an allocation question and one is a valuation question. I think on the allocation side specifically, there are a lot of, you know, lenders that are going to have to figure out, do I even want to be in this sector? And that is a fundamental question. Um, I think there's a lot of generalist lenders that have gotten into the space, you know, large deals and small that um, unfortunately have, have not done well. And they're going to have to decide, do I want to be in this very complicated, complex, capital-intensive sector? Um, you know, and there are others that are going to have to figure out how big do I want to be in this sector going forward? Because the reality is banks do not make a lot of money on doing these RBLs, the reserve-based loans. The hope is that because they do that and they can support their, their clients, that they can then go out and get additional revenue and, and fees for M&A and other financing. You know, that, that has not happened, I think, to the extent that a lot of people have wanted, and I think banks are going to have to figure out if I'm not making money on doing this RBL product, and I'm in danger of, you know, one example we heard recently is a, you know, multi-hundred million dollar deal where the lender took a 90% write down. So how do you justify that if, if uh, you're not getting a lot of other fees on it? Um, the second question is really valuation, and it's something that we have sort of been preaching and thinking about for a long time, you know, since we started this business was, um, you know, for small deals specifically, there has to be a way that you think about it, um, you know, in terms of what is the cash flow from this deal? What, what are the CapEx requirements to keep the deal going? And, and you know, in, in some ways, while a reserve report is incredibly important to figure out, you know, what is in the ground, can they get it out of the ground? When you start guessing and predicting two, five, ten years out what commodity prices are going to be and what the costs are going to be associated with that, it, it becomes really challenging. And, you know, I think people have figured out that that's important, but it's not the benchmark for value. You know, it's one data point, but there are others in terms of, you know, what multiple am I paying for this deal? You know, again, what CapEx is required to really keep it going? Am I going to have pumps fail, et cetera, um, that, that are going to be pretty important? Um, 
for larger deals, and I would say this applies to you for small deals, but definitely to larger deals, the days of the sort of single well IRR, you know, being an economic indicator don't make sense. And people have figured out that when I'm valuing a deal, I have to put everything in uh, the terms of what is the full cycle return. So I have to add in the cost that it takes to acquire this position or lease or asset. I have to add in the GNA of the team that it costs to run it. And I have to add in the interest expense of, you know, the cost to finance it. And, you know, I think when you do that, you know, things become a little bit more challenging to, to justify. So, you know, we've seen even in the past few months or even before a little bit COVID that a year ago, you had people that were lending off of PV10 and they were providing 65% of, of, uh, of, you know, the value there in terms of, of debt. You know, the numbers that we're hearing today are sort of in the 30 to 40% range, you know, as opposed to 65. That's a dramatic change. And I think it's really about lenders understanding that, um, you know, the valuation for, for certain deals, you know, has to fit where if I'm, you know, putting out a, again an RBL and I'm making a few percent on it or 5% or whatever, I, I need to make sure I'm not going to lose money for doing that. And um, this is, this is, I think, is really going to change the industry. That transitions into my next question that you touched on. Are there different lending plans for smaller oil and gas companies versus larger ones? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think the, the, the lending is, is quite different. I mean, first, let, let's look at how, uh, what is kind of the, the general difference between the smaller and the larger uh, companies in that regard. So what you typically see is that the larger companies are more focused on development of new projects or, or drilling of new wells and so on, right? Uh, and, and growing that way. While the smaller companies are more focused on uh, optimization of uh, existing older fields, uh, right? And older production, older wells, and, and kind of take it from there. So what that means is uh, for the smaller companies, uh, since these older wells are generally associated with more maintenance capex, they're associated with more and higher operating costs on a BOE basis, developer BOE basis, you need to kind of keep that into account while you're you're looking at your, your lending or, or your capital deployment. Um, secondly, uh, at least historically pre-COVID, larger companies had always enjoyed better access to capital, better access to bank debt, better access to private equity. Um, and, uh, and what that meant was uh, it also created more liquidity onto the for the assets that they own, which means they could easily sell the assets at any point where they wanted, right? While for the smaller side, the liquidity is generally lower and the capital access is, is lower as well. These guys are more dependent on their own cash flows to pay for the bills. They cannot depend on, on a kind of exit ultimately to kind of pay off their, their debt. Um, so in that regard, if we, if we get into the specific, I think the cash flow analysis becomes, like Ryan said, becomes much more important compared to a reserve report analysis, which is important uh, to kind of gauge the value. But for a, for a smaller uh, operator, you need to really look at what is the, the debt service coverage. Can, can he effectively pay the, the loan and cover the interest and so on over time, rather than figuring out, hey, I'm going to uh, advance X percent of the PV10 value to you on this pieces. So, so that is kind of how they, they generally differ. 
What do you see as the path forward from here? We're already into the second half of 2020, and then we're going into the unknowns of 2021. I don't think everything is doom and gloom. I do think there are some bright spots here. Um, you know, again, the, the companies that have been able to survive this period, I think, are well positioned on the other side. The uh, phrase we hear a lot is uh, the cure for low prices is low prices. You're seeing production in the U.S. has already come down a couple million barrels a day. The Code Access Pipeline just got shut in. Um, there's a lot of factors to, to understand why production is going to continue to come down. And I think that, you know, puts a, a you know, an increasing bet on, on the fact that prices may, will rise again soon. Um, I don't want to call the time period, but um, I think again, you know, maybe not in 2020, but in, in 2021 or 22, things with the vaccine are, uh, are available for COVID, um, you know, economy sort of gets right footed again. Um, you know, I think that leads us to a much better environment. And, you know, one bright spot I think is that, you know, from our contacts in the industry and, and, uh, and marketing, we've actually, been getting a lot of, uh, of inbound traffic of people that are looking at deals now. So both on the, the borrower side of people that are actually trying to sell some of these non-core assets that they're getting a lot of looks from people and, you know, people of uh, buyers have put in a little bit of a floor where, you know, they see this as an opportunity to actually get some value at these, at these prices. So, you know, I, I think that the industry will, will come back. I think it is going to be undercapitalized when it does. And I think the companies that are going to be part of this industry, frankly, will be much more resilient than the ones that um, you know, may be getting into trouble now. While in the short run, uh, we may see kind of the, the prices maybe taking a hit uh, well, until the COVID uncertainty is around and maybe the, the shut-in production kind of comes back. But we are setting ourselves up for a pretty big uh, oil supply shock with where the rig count is currently. So, and I think market is realizing that, like Ryan said, and uh, there has been quite a bit of uh, kind of uh, activity in the market while, while some of the new players are coming in and are ready to deploy the capital um, and uh, the deal activity should pick up as well. I really thank you both for your time and your expertise today. I also like hearing that uh, you don't see all doom and gloom as we head into 2021. Uh, good to hear from you both and thank you for sharing your expertise. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jessica, for the opportunity. Yeah. You're very welcome.